Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is, is The Science of Motherhood. Motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of The Science of Motherhood. I'm your co-host, Dr. Renee White, and my other co-host, Dr. Mika Petucci, is in the house. Um, We have got a wonderful guest for you today, actually our first male guest. But before that, I have to mention it is the final weeks leading up to Christmas. And if you are stuck for a gift, we've got the answer. It's okay, everyone. (laughs) We've got it. Did you know that we actually have gift vouchers here at Fill Your Cup? So if you have been hiding under a rock, um, myself and Mika are both the co-founders of Fill Your Cup Postpartum Doulas here in Melbourne and Hobart, and we lead a wonderful group of women who come into the homes of newborn mothers and we nurture and nourish you in those sleep deprived days when things are super overwhelming and you can't seem to get your shit together. That's totally fine. We Mary Poppins you. That's what we've been told. No joke. That's in one of the Google reviews that we currently have at the moment. Speaking of Google reviews, One of our recent FYC mamas left the most beautiful, beautiful words on our Google review page. I'm going to read it out to you. So Stacey, who is a third time mama. So people, just because you're a first time mama, second time mama, third time mama does not mean that you do not deserve full-time postpartum care. So our beautiful doula, Amanda, looked after Stacey for 10 sessions. Stacey wrote, and I quote, I cannot thank these beautiful ladies enough. This is my third child and nothing braces you for that fourth trimester, even though you've been through it before. I was lucky enough to have Amanda looking after me, who has been absolutely amazing. Not only has she cooked me some amazing food, she's kept me company. And in brackets, she said, we all know how lonely these newborn days are. I feel your sister. She's also just been my shoulder to lean on to get through navigating this mum life. If there's one thing I can recommend to plan for after having your baby, definitely get a fill your cup doula. These ladies are amazing and know exactly what to do to help. <gasps> Thank you so much, Stacey. They are. It's so beautiful. And so if you are looking for the perfect gift for a mama-to-be or a new mama, head over to our website, ifillyourcup.com. We have gift vouchers there where they can purchase either a Fill My Cup day, which is a single three-hour session where we come in and nurture and nourish and cook you beautiful meals just like we had for Stacy. And if you're not in Melbourne or Hobart, that's okay. Still get the voucher. 
your mama-to-be or new mama can purchase one of our Fill Your Cup postpartum-specific products. So we have our best-selling, like these things fly off the shelf. I'm making another batch today. (laughs) It is our Choc Goji lactation cookie dry mix and our creamy coconut dal mix or our postpartum recovery sits. So these are all the products that Mika and I wished we had in our postpartum. So the dry mixes for the cookies and the dal can last in your pantry for up to like eight months. So most of our most of our customers actually buy like three to four to five bags at a time, stock their pantry, have them just there because they have got a great long life on them. And for example, with the cookies, all you need to do is rip the packet open, pour it into a bowl, add a couple of eggs and some coconut oil, and you have got 12 huge cookies, PS, and they are a great 3 a.m. snack high in protein, all organic ingredients. They are there to support your feeding journey, 110%. And our creamy coconut dal, you just cannot go past. It's first in market to contain organic bone broth. So again, you just tip the packet into a saucepan. Um, It's got some beautiful organic red lentils, single origin spice mix. So think garlic, onion, turmeric, cardamom, and of course, ginger. And then you just add some boiling water and one can of coconut cream. And 20 minutes later, you have got a nourishing, delicious meal and everything's freezeable because that's life, isn't it, mamas? (laughs) So head over to our website if that all sounds peaches to you. And it's ifillyourcup.com. And get yourself some nourishing and nurturing products and a doula in in your house. Everyone needs a bit of TLC at this time of the year. So without further ado, our guest today is, as I said, our first male guest, actually, for the science of motherhood. Not that we, not that we kind of, I guess, did it on purpose to not have any male guests, but... (laughs) It just it just fell like that. We have got Jason Chambers. Now Jason is the general manager of Kids Safe Victoria. He's got a degree in health promotion and master's degree in public health, which have put him in good stead for his work with Kids Safe. His studies fueled his passion for providing communities with the knowledge, resources, and tools to enable them to make safe and healthy choices. And this is exactly what Jason is discussing with Mika and I today. I think it's a timely reminder the two subjects that we are talking about. One is water safety and the other is button batteries. I just have to say, first off the bat, there was some things in this discussion that I was just like, I had no idea about that. You know, as a parent, I've got a five-year-old. I thought, you know, I thought I was informed. (laughs) I thought I knew what was going on with these button batteries. But there was a few kind of, oh my goodness moments. So tune in. Stay for the whole session 
this is going to be really, really valuable, particularly, you know, it's summertime here in Australia. So we all need to make sure that, you know, the kids are being watched when they're around water. And Jason highlights a few really key points. Again, things that Mika and I were both like, oh my goodness, we didn't even realize that. And then particularly with button batteries, you know, Christmas time, there's lots of toys and wrapping paper everywhere and kind of things just fall out of packets and stuff like that and when you've got little bubbies crawling around the floor at Christmas time and we all know that they love to put things in their mouths button batteries can be a really really dangerous thing to have around so this is everyone's kind of little refresher on water safety and buttons so I'm pleased to introduce Jason Chambers from Kids Safe Victoria. And a big hello and welcome to Jason Chambers from Kids Safe joining us on the podcast today. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having us. We are so thrilled to have you on today. And this is such important information, especially as we get closer to summer. We'll talk about it in a minute. But before we jump in, we'd love to learn a bit more about you and the organisation of Kids Safe. Yeah, so at KidSafe, we're a, a not-for-profit organisation. Uh, we're a national organisation, so we've got a, an office in each state and territory around the country. Uh, and basically, we work to prevent unintentional childhood injuries. So the things a lot of us often refer to as accidents, um, but something that we're really big on is it's not about preventing those bumps and bruises and the scrapes. Um, you know, all of those are a natural part of childhood. Uh and learning and growing, um, what we aim to prevent is the more serious incidents uh, that lead to hospital admissions. Um, unfortunately, deaths, um, unintentional injuries are one of the leading causes of death for Australian children aged one to 15. So um, yeah, basically we work to try and empower parents and carers. Um, so grandparents, parents, aunts and uncles, anyone out there who uh, has involvement with kids or looks after kids as well with some really practical things that they can do to keep their kids safe. Um, we know how busy parenting is and how hectic it is and there's so much information to take in. So we try and make everything really easy and really help parents through that that process to make their, um, their parenting journey from a, a safety perspective a, an easy and stress-free um, journey. Oh, that sounds great. And I, I do love as a parent you know, the information that's important. But I love when organisations are able to actually package it in a way that's really accessible and easy to understand. I think that's sometimes the missing piece of the puzzle. And that's why, of course, we wanted you on today because, you know, this is what our mission is all about, is educating and empowering our listeners and mothers to, you know, learn some new skills and maybe pick up on things they hadn't thought of. But um, can you tell us a little bit more about you and your background in the company? Uh, yeah, so for me, I have a background in health promotion um, and uh, I kind of fell into this role at KidSafe a little bit. I didn't know much uh, much about KidSafe, was uh, looking for some experience in the not-for-profit world to see what it was like in uh, this side of the uh, the world and, yeah, kind of started at, at KidSafe as a, an intern while I was still studying uh, through my degree and then I think fell in love with the work that we we do it is there are so many different topics and yeah became really passionate about it and so yeah started off as an intern and kind of worked through um uh, i think it's really nice seeing our organization grow from 
two people when I first started to the 11 or 12 we have for the state at the moment um, for our Victorian office. So, um, yeah, during that time I've uh, been a project officer, a project manager, general manager at the moment. Yeah, I think what I love about the role is there's, there's something different and getting that feeling, like you said, about uh, helping parents as well. And, um, yeah, I think that really nice feeling of that you've, you've helped and you have made a difference as well. And whether it's one person you're talking to on a on the phone or a camp, bigger campaign that goes statewide or nationwide um, that provides some of those tips is just yeah something I think that that is that is really important. So I've been here for 13 years now, and uh, it definitely doesn't feel like 13 years, but um, yeah, really enjoy what we um, what we do. Oh, fantastic! I can hear the passion in your voice, and what a great company to be part of from its infancy through to what it is now that's amazing and and we are really thrilled to have you as a general manager on today to talk through some of these really important points and one of the points you suggested which of course makes sense coming into summer is water safety and very important for Renee because she is now <laughs> living on a I'm not going to say tropical but an island surrounded by water. The, uh, the Apple Isle. Um, Look I can see the ocean <laughs> from my office um, and it is definitely something that I am acutely aware of um, Jason, so uh, obviously I was in Melbourne for lockdown for two years and my daughter, you know, progressed through the ages of, you know, two and a half to, to four and a half during that time. And swimming lessons were not on the agenda. So we've turned up here in Tassie with the beach on our doorstep and um, my kid didn't know how to swim at all. And the thing that terrifies me the most about that is that she's got more confidence than a 25-year-old. So she's like, I can swim, mum. I'm fine. And I'm like, mm, no, you can't, sweetheart. <laughs> so we've had to heavily invest in some kind of intensive swimming lessons here in Tassie. And when this topic cropped up, I was just so excited because it's something that our swimming instructors have been talking about even more and more frequently around not just how can you swim, but water safety as well. Are you able to walk us through, you know, what are what are some of the top tips that I guess parents should be looking out for and, and why? Like it, it's quite, I guess, our culture. We all head to the beach during summer, don't we? And we're all around pools having barbecues. Yeah, that's right. And I think you're right. Whether we're um whether we live near the beach and can see the ocean like you can out the window or whether it's someone who lives uh, in regional areas, there's dams, there's so many bodies of water and then even within our homes, just pools, spas and, and baths and showers, there's everyone is so close to water and interacting with it every day and it is so true what you said. Kids are just, they mm. do have no fear. They love the water as well and they are quite confident in their own abilities because they don't yet understand those some of those dangers that some of those things can um can pose so it it is one that we do see drowning is one of the leading causes of unintentional death for australian children particularly children under the age of five and it is a few of those reasons because of their um you know, their natural curiosity how fearless they are but also because they are quite top heavy as well so they can fall over quite easily um, and that's what we do see a, the large majority of drownings in that age group are due to fall mm -hmm. into the water so not necessarily when they might be swimming or intending to be in the water but those falls into water and then they're unable to to get themselves out so we have um in some really positive news we did see a, a, a big 
decrease in the rate of drownings for children under the age of five last financial year, but there were still 17 children across the, the country uh, who did, did drown. And I think a really important thing when we look at those drowning stats as well, and we talk about a lot, is it's for every fatal drowning, there are eight non-fatal drowning incidents. So when you think about those 17, that's another 130-odd incidents. And you know some of those children will be very lucky to survive. And some of those children will have ongoing effects, organ and brain damage and those sorts of things can happen. So it, it is that really important one, I think, that because we are interacting with water every single day. And, and one of the, I guess, the biggest risk factors is that 20 seconds and a few centimetres of water is all it takes for a, a toddler to drown. So uh, I know that a, a lot of the time we think about beaches and, you know, rip currents and those pools and spas and the larger bodies of water. But, I mean, we've seen uh, incidents in baths, in uh, even things like ponds in the backyard. We've been working with a family uh, whose son was lucky to survive a non-fatal drowning incident in an esky oh, with wow. melted ice. Uh, yeah, so you think about, you know, again, coming into summer, a lot of people at Christmas around the holidays will have an esky with drinks in there and the ice is often left to melt to then tip onto the garden yeah. or the plants so we're saving water and even something as small as a, a pet's water bowl for a young child there have been incidents in those so when we start to think about those it's not just those bigger pools and spas and the beach there's so many different things buckets mop buckets mm. around our homes that, that can pose that um can pose that risk as well I might add in as well, like in Melbourne, we have had so much rain and our sand pit is currently covered with a tarp, which now looks like a mm. swimming pool, one of those little plastic shell things. So, you know, there's so, there's puddles, like things you wouldn't even think about, just any collection of water in the backyard. And if, like you said, 20 seconds in a few centimetres, um, it's almost unavoidable. Like there's water everywhere in Melbourne and I'm guessing yeah, the absolutely. at the moment after yeah. such a wet winter I did want to ask, I'm not sure if you're aware of the numbers, but in Australia, do we have like a higher rate of drownings with kids in terms of other countries? Uh, in, in terms of some of the statistics, some of the more developing nations do have a, a lot higher drowning rates than us. Um, uh, something we say, I guess, we've probably been quite lucky in terms of children here at the moment, but floods do pose a major hazard as well, particularly um, in some of the other countries uh, around the world um, as well. But I think for us here in Australia, it has consistently, we've seen really big drops over the, you know, the last 20, 30 years in drowning rates, but um, it, it still is those, you know, one of the leading causes. It's always one of the top one or two um, in causes of unintentional deaths. So I think it's, yeah, something that is really important to just have front of mind um, all, all the time for, for everyone, obviously not just for children as well, for adults. It's a, a leading cause for, for adults as well obviously some different circumstances there but yeah something that's really important for for everyone to be aware of i think so too and i think you know while we might be lucky with the statistics you know those 17 families that's 17 too many plus those non-fatal drowning incidents sound you know really traumatic as well and i think that's something that many people might not be aware of and like you know, think of the drowning numbers but then for all, like one in eight or um every child that drowns is the eight that have the non-fatal drowning incidents like that's something you know those families often have to live with those longer term effects which can be very oh my gosh I can't even think of the word this is such a heavy topic but it's so important I think you know that's why you're doing the work because you know, this is what it's all about is keeping our kids safe and healthy and well and 
unfortunately it is impossible to watch them 24-7. And, yeah, so I'll just keep going with the conversation. Sorry to interject a bit there, but um, with the um, distractions is something we want to talk about with parents and caregivers. Yeah, so there has been some research looking into drowning incidents and uh, kind of uh, by Royal Life Saving Society of Australia and looking at some of the circumstances which lead up to some of those drowning incidents. And something that they have found is that it's uh, in a lot of incidents where there's been a, a lapse in supervision by a caregiver, it's indoor and outdoor household chores, which are one of the number one causes. And I think that comes back to that 20 seconds message again where you know that is really quick and when you think about what can be done in 20 seconds there's almost nothing that can be done in in 20 seconds and you know things like the the, you know checking on dinner quickly in the oven uh, while a child's in the bath or answering the phone or a knock at the door putting some washing on and or you know getting the washing out of the washing machine or into the dryer those sorts of things I, i guess you know Again, parents are so busy and there's so many different things to do, but it is such a something that can happen so, so quickly. So I think it really does bring back to that 20 seconds message again, where it's just, and that's where our main message is that, yeah, it is it happens so quickly. So if some of those things happen about a knock at the door or answering the phone or checking on dinner to always take the kids with you um, in, in those instances, it, it can be hard when there is so much to do, but it is just because it can happen so, so quickly. And it usually happens really silently as well. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, we watch TVs and movies and you think about drowning as splashing and someone calling for help. And, um, you know, that's the way it, it happens on screen, but it's not the way it happens in, in real life. It is something that's usually quite silent, quite quick as well. Oh my gosh, with those distractions, as well as like having kids, and I have my two in the bath together because it usually works well, sometimes <laughs> it doesn't. But I think, you know, and I've been told that as well, take them with you. And I was like, I'm not getting two kids out of the bath and dry. I'm just going to leave the front door. If it's a package, they can leave it. I'm going to leave the phone call. I'm going to let whatever burn in the oven, you know, without setting the house on fire. Yeah. Another risk, but I'm just going to leave it. And come back because everything you can come back to later and we're not trying to make life harder just make it easier but can i ask is there any research around phones because like i can't not bring it up like everywhere i go like at the park and playgrounds and i get it but parents are on their phones so much and i feel like that's such a a new distraction and a new risk for this age of young parents growing up is that something that there's been research into is that a high level of distraction or a high number yeah, definitely. So after the indoor and outdoor household chores, a couple of the other major causes of distractions were socialising, which again, I think is an important one at that, you know, holiday, summer holiday time when everyone's having barbecues and you've got someone who's cooking dinner and everyone's greeting each other and there's lots of adults around and then everyone kind of thinks that someone's watching the kids when maybe no one actually mm. is watching them because everyone's got their own little bit that they're doing. And then after that, we're technology distractions as well so yeah again I think it is a really good point because we are so so much more accessible now you know 15 probably 10-15 years ago it was the house phone which might not have even moved um, at that stage it it sat in the you know the kitchen and it didn't move around the house whereas now yeah we've all got our mobile phones and there's you know notifications going off everywhere and people calling and text messages and there are so many more distractions. You mentioned the uh, talking earlier about Apple Watches, yeah. those sorts of things. Like we're just so connected to those. So yeah, it is a, a really important one, I guess, both within 
within the home but went out in in public as well and yeah it does make it quite hard doesn't it because they are also connected to those to those things but yeah it is just those you know those split seconds is all it can take for for something to go wrong so um, I think that's a a really good point that you did make about you know ignoring some of those things to later the phone call can wait till later that you know the message um, we can connect with everyone after that but is a yeah I think a really good and important point to remember. I I was just gonna say like you know full transparency I distinctly remember there was you know my daughter was in the bath and I think she was probably four and I was like you know this is probably TMI but Jason welcome to the science of motherhood but I really needed to go to the toilet okay like I was like I am busting I have to actually go and just when you said previously you know unlike what we see in Hollywood drowning can be quite silent I was acutely aware that I had to go to the bathroom and I had to go now, but she was still in the bath. And I was like, I'm actually physically not able to take her out in time, drag her down and take her with me. So you know what I did? I made her sing really, really loud. And I was like, sing me jingle bells. Cause I was like, what do you, what do you absolutely know at the top of your lungs? I need to go to the toilet. And so I was just listening to her singing the whole time. Cause I kind of felt like, if I can hear her, she's okay. Again, I am not saying that that is like your fail-safe thing, but that is something that I think we need to be realistic as well about the fact that sometimes you absolutely have to leave them, <laughs> leave them in a very quick rush. You're obviously coming back. But that was something that I used because that was the only way that I felt safe with her being in there. So, yeah, I just I wanted to a, like throw that out there because I know <laughs> there's going to be mums listening to this going, are you serious? I, I just don't have time to get them out of the bath or I've just got to quickly dash. And I know 20 seconds is very, very quick. Obviously, don't leave your kids in there if they're super, super young. But, like, for example, Eva's five now. I'm quite comfortable with, like, our kitchen and bathroom now is quite close. So, like, if I just have to quickly check on something in the oven and come back, I personally am quite comfortable with doing that. I know that there's hazards, but I feel like we need to talk about the realities as well. Is that bad? I, <laughs> I think it's a re- it's a really good point because something we talk about a lot with not just for water safety, but with a lot of hazards that are in, yeah. in the home or, and outside in the backyard as well is that, you know, there is often times when parents do need that five seconds to themselves and it's hard to find that five yeah. seconds to go to the bathroom um, <laughs> I was like, the, the go. hanging off of you and <laughs> there's something we talk a lot about a lot is for some of those moments as well inside and outside the home is having those safe play areas where the kids can safely play if it is you know that that quick bathroom break or if it is you know something else that needs to be done because like we said before it's impossible to watch them 24 hours a day seven days a week so having those areas both inside and outside so if they're playing out in the backyard or inside as well you know that are separated from you know if we're looking at other hazards like heaters and you know burn and scold things and water safety and driveways and all Mm -hmm. those other types of things and having those can really give that that peace of mind as well that when it is that you know quick break um all those those five minutes that are that are needed that they're there somewhere where they are um safe as well so it's a a really good thing to look at for both yeah inside the home and outside the home and it yeah it could be that couple of minutes just to go and stir dinner or check what's in the oven and um you know put something else on or to 
you know, hang the washing out or do those little things. And there's that safe indoor outdoor play area then where they're, you know, it just does provide that a bit of that yeah. peace of mind and allows parents to do those those things that they, they need to do. And particularly the bathroom, <laughs> yeah. you can't put that off, can you? So. I, was like, I was like, and my bladder is so full. I've got a mum bladder. I don't think I can pick you up out of the bath in this state. So. <laughs> just turn my microphone on sorry if I was no, that's quiet okay. before. Um, I've got two points I want to make on that and I think you're so right Jason my amazing GP actually said that to me she's like you need to have a place where you can put your child that is a hundred you know as safe as you can make it I'm going to use those words rather than a hundred percent safe and so I've got my youngest is 18 months he's a boy he is busy and I put him in the playroom which has got a gate at the front and he can't get out and he hates it. I put him in there and he screams. It's like a punishment. It's a playroom. It is full of toys, a trampoline. It should be heaven. But he hates going in and he screams. And I sometimes feel bad putting him in there and I've got things to do. And my doctor always says to me, it's safety first. And I go, you know what? You might not like it. I don't like hearing the screaming because it does wear on you sometimes or you feel like you're doing the wrong thing. But I just remind myself and I'm just reminding other mums as well, it's mm-hmm. safety first. And usually after a few minutes, he stops crying and I come back in and he's built blocks or he's having fun. But there's always, for me, that little moment of not guilt, but just like, you know, mm. it's hard when they don't enjoy it. But it's like I'd rather you be unhappy for a minute <laughs> than any of the alternatives. And I, I just keep thinking safety first, safety first. And then the other point I wanted to make was coming back mm. to bath time. And I don't remember where I read it, but in terms of like not being distracted and and I want to reframe bath time because I think it's a really beautiful time. And I I remember reading that often that's when kids open up about their day. And, you know, it's not when you pick them up from childcare or kinder or school. How was the day? They're not ready to talk yet. In the bath, often they open up. And this piece of work, which I can't remember where I saw, it was like because they have your attention. They can look you in the eye. You're not distracted. So for me, bath time is like there's no phone. It's not even nearby. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to deal with it. I want to connect with my children. We're in mm. water. So it's really calm. And to me, that's the way I like to frame it. So I'm not wanting to be distracted. I'm wanting to be present more than ever for a connection as well as that safety thing as well. You know, texting and calling on your phone, those things are so much nicer to do once they're in <laughs> anyway. So and I get it. I really do. We all need a break, but I just think sometimes you miss that beautiful, those moments that can unfold when you are there and you are present and they open up because they can see you and you can see them. And so that's just another little way to talk about bath time and being present. But I did want to talk to you about some of the tips that we can do. So in terms of the bath, so when we had our second, I was like, and I do the nighttime routine pretty much by myself. How do I do two kids? in the bath so my mother-in-law is like you know do them individually but now that you know my youngest is a bit older they have fun together and I was like okay so how do I get one out and I've got one in I can't get them both dried and dressed at the same time and it took me a while to find my groove so what I do now is I have everything ready to go in like the little alleyway or the little doorway just outside the bathroom so I can get my younger son out when my daughter stays in the water and I'm drying him on the um the little mat just outside the bathroom. So I can see her the whole time as I'm drying him. I've got my creams there for all of it. Like I love to do a little massage. <laughs> and, um, and then the bum, I I your house for bath time, Mika. Uh, this sounds oh, like the dream. When, when my partner does it, you just like 
chucks him. I'm like, no, it's so oh, bad. I'm like, get out, get out. We're gonna go. It's it's. I'm oh, more of a no, I'm more of a I'm story like, time mum, not bath time mum. I'm a story time mum. No, I like I'm, I like <laughs> products as well. So it's like beautiful, like we'll lead a baby products and massage. And then I can see her, and of course, if I needed to, I could get up to her. And then I get him dressed, and then I put him in the safety pen in the playroom, and then I get my daughter out. Any other comments on bath safety? And you know, if you've got three kids, and or, you know, any other tips? Because it took me a long while to like, how am I going to do this so it works? Like bathing them separately feels like more work. Yeah, and I think I think that's a, a really important thing is about finding what works for each individual situation and. Obviously, like you said, the more kids there are to bath, the mm-hmm. harder it does get to do <laughs> to to do them all as well. Uh, particularly if they're maybe not getting along that <laughs> afternoon or that night um, as well. Um, it, it might be, you know, there might be different situations for different days as well. But I think um, what we recommend is exactly what you described there about you know having everything that you need that's that's close by, that's there, being able to to see them as well. And I I think yeah, it is one of those one of those things. Something we always do talk a little bit about as well is not leaving younger children in the care of older children so that that multiple children in the bar as well but yeah i think that that situation you described there is perfectly what we would uh, we would recommend as well in having and so sometimes and again it is hard but having that a little bit of preparation so there is yeah, everything your creams and your powders and the clothes and towels and everything um everything that that they will need uh, there as well but yeah i think it is really important for parents to to find something that that works for them as well. So if, if for some parents it works to do them separately and at different times of the day, or if there's different parents doing it with different children, or that swaps every day or swaps on the weekends, I think yeah, finding what what works um, for your situation is um, what's probably best. It's going to make it easiest then, and not have all those distractions and the stress and everything else that can sometimes go with um with those sorts of things yeah i will say the prep is a bit annoying to be totally <laughs> honest like having to move it from such a small thing but it's just like one more thing having to move it all from the bedroom which i can do when i've got a second adult around um weekends but then i move it to the you know, near the bathroom um the bath area and like if i forget a cream that's it like there's no cream like keeping it very simple um so okay good because it is hard i've got a girlfriend with four kids i to ask her what her routine is because I feel like it would be individual baths or just like hose yeah. out the bath. <laughs> I was, was going <laughs> to say military precision. That's that's what it would be. <laughs> and they are a bit older too, but I actually love that point you made of not having older kids look after yeah. young kids. And that's actually something that we practice across the board because our childcare provider, when my youngest started at childcare, she was like, make sure you don't say to her, make sure, you know, your younger child has fun. It's not her job. And I think that across the board, none of it is her job. Like she didn't want a sibling. We wanted the baby. It's our responsibility. Her job is to be a kid and be a child only. I think it's very easy and natural because I think that's how a lot of us were raised too. Like watch out for your brother or do this or you know, now that like my daughter's four, we have proper conversations. So she seems much more grown up than what she is. But in those situations where it really matters, who knows? And it's not her job. It's not the weight that these these children need. It's just like let kids be kids and they don't need to do that as much as you can avoid any of that area. Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of swimming and water safety, Jason? Obviously, we touched on swimming lessons mm-hmm. a little bit earlier on as well. I think that is so in, important and you know, as early as possible, some of the swim schools will start off from around about three months. And obviously at that stage, it's less about 
learning how to swim. It's more about becoming familiar with water, you know, being used to blowing bubbles and having water on their face and then floating and going through all those stages. But yeah, for kids, it is really important that continuity of those lessons as well. And obviously, we did speak about there's some of those disruptions that were there to swimming lessons. And it's, you know, muscle memory and some of those things, kids can forget those skills very, very quickly. So, you know, even through the, the winter months, and again, things like bath time for young children can be a really good time to introduce some of those with, you know, cups of water and getting used to having water over their head and over their faces and getting used to splashing around and kicking might make a little bit of mess in the bathroom but you know practicing some of those things that can be a really good time for them to have some of that experience in and around water as well so um yeah it's a really important one that um you know kids are kids are enrolled and that there's that continuity of those those swimming lessons right through you know through then to primary school where they learn how to swim and you know, it's a really great skill for, for life for them as well for when they, they do get older as um, as adults. So that that's another one. And in terms of skills, we often talk about, again, not just for water safety, but for all safety things is parents and carers having some basic CPR and first aid knowledge as well. So hopefully they're skills that, you know, no one will ever have to use. But if, if something does happen, and whether that's water related, whether that's, you know, choking or whether that's anything else there's some of those you know basic skills to know what to do in an emergency until ambulance or someone else can can arrive as well so yeah i think that's a, another really really important one we often say if, if people are trying to think of what to get the parent who's got everything then a first aid course is always a really good I- idea and something that's really practical as well that's yeah oh my god actually yeah sorry to interrupt you i'm just like that I, I did CPR with our eldest and learned all of those things and they were really mm. eye-opening and scary and really empowering and good to actually know. And I was in with a lovely mama client the other day and she actually had all that information, um, not on the front of the fridge but on the inside of the cupboard door. And I thought, what yes. a place to have it, like pictures and really basic information. Um, and I feel like I need to do a refresher on these. But are you aware of any free classes for CPR training or refreshers for parents or is it something that's at an expense or is there community ones? I'm just trying to make it think of it. How can we be more accessible to people? Yeah, there are some free ones from time to time. They're probably not um, not something that's there all the time, but um, we always tell people to have a look, whether it's through their local council at some of those events. There might be, you know, there might be certain days. Uh, just recently had Restart a Heart Day where there were some um, promotions with discounted courses some providers were offering. You know, there's other days through, throughout the year where there might be some of those specials. There might be some, you know, mini online classes for different topics as well. And there's a, a, a wide range of providers now doing the child-specific CPR and first aid as well. So, you know, yeah, there's online options, face-to-face options, just, yeah, that really good idea, I think, for everyone. And like you said, those refreshers as well, um, just for that reminder. And not just for the safety side, but obviously a lot of them go through childhood illnesses as well um, and how to manage fevers and all those sorts of things. So some of those really practical skills, which, again, I think make you feel really empowered as a parent and know what to be able to do and the signs to look out for and all of those sorts of things as well. I might just actually add in there, um, we did unfortunately have a really severe choking incident with my daughter once, which isn't something I've talked about a lot. Um, And in the moment when it's happening, you don't have time to look it up. You don't really have time to go look at things. If you're the only adult, you need to know. And it was so important to have 
like we didn't know what to do. We just sort of you freeze, but then you are able to access that part of your brain where you learned it. So I will definitely say it's like the best money you can spend. And I love the idea of it being a gift. And you know, even if you never use it, I still think it's one of the best investments mm-hmm. you can make um, for yourself and for your little people. Um, they're all really great ideas. Um, and I, I did want to mention one more thing about pool safety. So my, again, my mother-in-law, we talked about her a little bit, um, they are doing up their backyard and they have got a lovely pool and a spa and they've got all like really thick, heavy glass fencing. It's all, you know, it's quite new and it's really safe. And they're designing their backyard with some landscaping and she's got these beautiful big pots with like just small little trees, almost like the ficus behind me that she was going to put next to the pool because it would look really nice. And the landscape designer said, you can't put, a tree there even if it's like not climbable like this sort of tree like a little shrub because kids can still find a way to make that work and use it to climb and get over and she said I like and they know the water safety the things that to go through to get this it was a relatively new house new pool put in and the regulations now are amazing because they're so high but even then she would have put that tree or plant or pot near a fence and I just wanted to sort of bring that to people's mind because it's an easy thing to do without realising. Like a kid can't climb. Yeah, they can. They just get on the pot. Like, yeah. Did you want to touch on that at all before we move yeah, on? Yeah, I think it is that really important point. So obviously there's the pool and spa barrier laws and there's regulations about how high the barrier has to be and all of those sorts of things. But there is those day-to-day things. So you think about um, most people have outdoor furniture that's there and, again, that might be placed away from the pool or spa, but, the kids might drag the chair over yeah, again. It's with, quite light. Sorry. They're quite light, yeah. Like, oh. Quite easy to drag. Uh, eskies, again, you think about those. Barbecues, there's lots of movable items in our in our backyards and kids, you know, are very creative and if they want to find a way to try and reach the latch or to climb over something, they're going to stack things on top of each other and they're going to try any way that they, um, any way that they can. So it is those, I think, that, that really important reminder, not just about having the barriers in place but looking at things like those climbable objects um uh, another one with all the rain we've had lately it causes a lot of ground movement as well so it's really important for people to have a look at has their barrier actually shifted the ground could have moved and their gate could be misaligned now it might not be latching properly um you know there's all those things which are really important um to regularly check um, as well. So it's something that one of our, our current campaigns looks at is um, making sure the pool and spa owners are regularly checking the areas to make sure that there's none of those climbable objects, that the, the gate still self-closes and that it latches properly, all those sorts of things that, yeah, just, I guess, help the barrier to do what it should do and restrict children's unsupervised access to that to that water area. And particularly over, you know, over summer, there's lots of pool parties and backyard barbecues and um, even as something as simple as not propping the gate open, that's something that a lot of people will do if the barbecue's inside the pool area and you're carrying in food and drinks and carrying kids and whatever else, towels and everything in. Uh, really important that that is, uh, yeah, never propped open and it's left left closed as well. And yeah, some of those those simple little things to check and to look for can then make sure everyone has a, a fun and safe time at, at those events. And yeah, it just really helps to, to keep kids safe. Oh, gosh, thanks, Jason. I know there's a lot of things there that I hadn't actually thought of too, particularly with the furniture as well for kids to do. And I think, you know, you want them to love water and enjoy it, but at the same time, like, I think, you know, you need to make sure it's safe and, you know, you can have those conversations with kids. We don't go in the water without mum and dad or an adult around, but 
that's not how their brains work at this young, young age. So it is all on you as the parent, guardian, carer to look out for these. So it sounds really great. Thank you. I think we've covered a lot of water safety, which is extra important coming into summer, hopefully, whenever it arrives in <laughs> Melbourne. Never. We had so, snow yeah, on the mountain say. yesterday, people, and let's just say we're recording this in mid-November. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. But we might do a big gear change and move into another really big hazard um, in the home to be aware of, which is button battery. Um, it's not something I know a lot about. Especially at Christmas um, time, hey, just, like they're all just – I, I would well. Waited. I would imagine you know, it, like present wrapping papers flying. You know, toys are going around everywhere. There's lots of stuff around, and the one thing that like crops up with button batteries for me is particularly around like family Christmas time. You get lots of big kids playing with toys, and then there's just crap everywhere in the house. No one can see what's going on, and all it takes is for Bubby to be crawling along and they're like oh, what's this and they're so curious because they use their mouths to explore um and then I, I mean I've seen the I've seen the demonstrations that they use with the sausages you know how they cut them lengthways and like just watch this and I was like shocked the first time I saw it. I was like how can something so small and like it looks so benign, you know, just this battery. And you're like, oh, my God, it is literally burning the flesh of that sausage. Mm. It doesn't make me want to eat sausages either. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely doesn't. I think that's a, it. It is, you know, Christmas time is one of those times. And there's so many products that use these batteries now these days. So, again, it's it's something and I think it's a, it's a good highlight that there's, you know, we see some, you know, water safety has always been an issue and it's always one that's front of mind, but then there's these emerging issues. So again, you know, 15 years ago, there was probably no products that use these button batteries and our devices get smaller and smaller and we move to smaller batteries and, you know, as technology progresses, a, a new hazard emerges and there's, there's so many different things and it is in kids' toys for Christmas time, those uh, musical cards which sing you know, Merry Christmas or Happy oh Birthday to gosh, you as well. Yes. Um, they usually power those. So there's so many, you know, if we look at other items in the house, uh, car keys are another one. And, you know, keys are something that kids love. Uh, obviously, they're not designed for them to play with, but they love. And sometimes there might be something which are handed to the kids to keep them occupied um, and to keep them happy while they jingle away. Um, but a lot of the, those uh, remote keys will have a, a button battery in them, flameless candles, which people might have in their homes because then there's no flame, so it's safer from a burns perspective, but then they use the button batteries oh. as well. Calculators, watches, hearing aids, digital thermometers. And I think what we often find is a lot of people are surprised at just how many products use the battery. I'm literally sitting here so in shop going, yep, we've got that, 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 that. Yep, <laughs> never knew. Never knew there was button batteries. It knocked <gasps> A lot of the, um, a lot of those when you buy them. So I know I bought a, a new set of kitchen scales, uh, and the battery was yes. already in there. So when you pulled the scales out, it was ready to go, and they do last for a long time. So you're not actually buying a battery separately. You're not putting it in, and it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Then you start using the product. Uh, the same with your car keys; it comes with it in there, right? No, you don't I never think knew. about it. And <laughs> I don't know what I thought. I don't it was think I've ever had to change mine. <laughs> I'm going to add something to that. We were recently gifted a really beautiful book that plays music. 
for our daughter and it is so beautiful and special and actually my youngest loves it almost even more but that's a button battery and I realise I've actually because we loved it so much we've gifted it to someone else and now I realise I've actually introduced a button battery into their home and obviously it's got a screw in the back but still can I um, say though the tiniest screws you've ever seen in your whole entire life are you am I on a side like I'm like where do I find a screwdriver that small like it does my head in oh come on oh Mom, my god I don't have <laughs> Ikea here anymore with the tiny little screwdriver kit thing I've got to trek out to Bunnings to find something you don't have no hair. hello welcome to Hobart <laughs> Why would I move to Hobart another time? Well, I can't open the goddamn (laughs) thing anyway, so there are no button batteries here. Like, I don't even know what's in these things. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I I wouldn't feel bad, though, about introducing a button battery. I think given the small screwdriver, like, scenario, I think it's going to be very complicated for them to get it out. Well, and it's a. I guess it's one of the positives now is that there was a new... Australian standard introduced back in in mid this year so that requires it sets out new standards for the sale of batteries themselves so you'll notice a lot of batteries there's a lot more warnings on the packages when you buy them they're in child resistant packaging which is really important to remember it doesn't mean child proof because they'll still always find a way to get it to get into it but um, also for products to have to have secure battery compartments Mm. so before mid this year your products such as your flameless candles and your scales it, it wasn't mandatory to have a secure battery compartment. Now it is. Um, obviously, that's not retrospective. So there's still a lot of products we'll have yeah. in our homes that may not have those secure battery compartments. But it is a, a requirement. Now, whether that's a screw or another device, which is, again, child resistant. Um, but even with those standards, it's something that's really important to remember because, again, kids will find any way that they can yeah. to get into things. So. And sometimes they get into those a lot easier than we can as adults. They figure out how to open the um, the child resistant locks and and other things. So it's a really it's a really positive step that we've got that um, now one of the first countries in the world to have that that standard, um, which is is really good because they do pose such a hazard. And, and like you mentioned with those demonstrations, it is it's, so it's actually our saliva which reacts with the button mm. battery to cause an electrical current um, oh. which causes that that burning of the tissue so they usually will get caught down in a, a child's esophagus so a bit lower down they can pose a choking hazard as well and then i guess i think the the really scary thing is that that burning happens within the first two hours of them swallowing the battery as well so like you said that kids put everything in their mouths these little ones they look shiny um they are everywhere as well they are so you know so small compared to some of the other batteries we have in our yeah. homes and yeah i think it's a, a really good one for yeah for everyone to just go and have a look at the electronic whether it's remote controls whatever you've got in your house you might be really surprised to see just how many of those products do use those mm. batteries um and then checking to i guess look if they are secured um storing them up high out of reach as well to make sure that the um yeah the kids can't get to them i this is so important this information jason and i love that you touched on this being like an emerging health risk and to me that just highlights that this needs to be a conversation with the older generations in our lives like our parents which are now grandparents 
you know, raising their awareness as well because they love buying the gifts for the kids and they've got lots of technologies these days that they didn't grow up with. So I think highlighting some of those risks and the issues with the button batteries with grandparents or carers in the home of the children or if they're going to their home, it's a whole different story. That's something that I hadn't actually thought about doing before because you've raised my awareness of how many things they are in. But I did also want to ask another question. Like, it's obviously all batteries you want to keep away from kids, but is it like my little boy really loves just the normal TV remote, which has just like the small AA or AAA batteries, and I often take them out of the remote and then let him play with it. They don't have the same risk in terms of like the burning, but they're still like it's all batteries are just like a no-no for kids. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the, I guess the button batteries are probably particularly hazardous because of their size and where they usually get lodged and that that burning hazard. But um, yeah, for for all batteries, definitely out of out of um, out of reach. And it is like again, kids love playing with remotes and they want to see, you know, what's happening after they've pressed all the buttons and you know, open all the little compartments and go through everything. Um, and yeah, there's just so many so many products that we do have in our in our homes um, that again, you know weren't ever designed for children to use, but that's why they're attracted to them, right? And when they get once they get bored with the toys and everything else that's there yeah, for them. If it's not the with. box, it's the battery. I think <laughs> yeah. oh, can, can I yeah. oh sorry, I need to interrupt, but I just I recalled seeing um something on social media and I've just Googled it because I wanted to make I wanted to fact check this before I like, you know, put it on put it on the air. Um so because I follow Tiny Hearts Education. So I did my CPR training and everything through them before I had Eva. And so they are one of the first places that I saw the demonstration with the sausage. And then they did a follow-up one. So if your child has swallowed um, a button battery, some countries actually recommend um, giving your child honey to to start minimizing that burn and they've actually done a demonstration of it so evidently in some countries um, it's normal first aid treatment to give your child 10 milliliters of honey every 10 minutes on the way to hospital as long as they're over the age of one because we know that we can't give children under the age of one honey so if there's anyone out there who christmas times rolled around and you suspect your kid has swallowed something shiny reach for the honey, start getting honey down their throat, um, obviously if there's no choking hazard and things like that. But, yeah, I just wanted to confirm that. So that's a little, that's your tidbit for today, people. <laughs> is that something you can touch on, Jason? Like, like are there signs? Like if we suspect this is what's happened, and I'm just going to say if there's a button better on the floor, your child will consume it. It's shiny, 100%. it's fun, it's like candy. But don't think otherwise. So then what happens next? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the other difficult things is that the signs and symptoms can be so varied and can look like other childhood illnesses. So there's nothing specific to a button battery that would say this definitely means they have swallowed. And uh, another important point, it can be swallowed, it can be put in their nose, in their ear. There's similar, similar burning can happen in other parts of the body and tissues as well. So a lot of them are swallowed, but you have seen button batteries in, in noses. And again, kids love to test things by putting them <laughs> in different places. But, you know, there, there can be things like coughing and noisy breathing, uh, unexpected fevers and vomiting. And But when you start to think about a lot of these things, yeah, they do look like a lot of other childhood illnesses. So I think one of the main messages there is that if you even suspect and aren't sure that it's, it's much safer to 
And the, the advice is to call the Poisons Information Centre. So they're 13 11 26 is the Poisons Information Centre, an Australia-wide number. It just directs you from where you're calling to, to your local centre. But the, the reason for that is that not all medical facilities are equipped to deal with the issue. So they'll be able to, based on where you are, uh, if you need transport, obviously if a child's having difficulty breathing or you know is un- unconscious triple zero uh, for an ambulance but that's one that we would recommend as well in terms of the the honey advice it is one that is recommended overseas here in australia they're kind of looking into if that becomes a recommendation and it might be something that the poisons information center say to you all right based on this and what's happening the state of the child at the moment do this until the ambulance arrives or on your way to the emergency department but yeah that's that, that number there and a, a really important one is so it, it takes the x-ray to differentiate um, you know between a, a coin a button battery and something we really encourage parents is to you know if they are at an emergency department to keep letting the staff know that they think it could have been a button battery until it's been disproven because some of those symptoms can be put down to other things that's a really important one to to let them know and to make sure that that x-ray is done to then disprove if it is or isn't a button battery and you know after all of that if you've called the poisons information center and there has been a trip to hospital and it turns out to be something else you know that's that's you know no pressure on anyone else it's it's been ruled out but it's just much safer to to have that um because it can happen so quickly and some of the damage so quickly just to to make sure that that's that's front of front of mind um, for everyone as well I think what you just described there with it not being a button battery in the end in that case is best case scenario. And I think for me personally, I've had moments where I'm like, oh, am I being like, am I overreacting here? And I always think, you know, I'd rather be an overreactive parent and, you know, go, okay, it wasn't that, it's fine, than to miss something. Like I, and that's just how I think. And I, also, like, I don't care about <laughs> You've just got to do it right for you. And I think if you suspect this, and, you know, it has been around a time when, say, there's been presents opened and there's wrapping everywhere and it's so easy for those little things to fall out of a packet and not know that they're underneath there or to be found later on. Um, or the keys, I, which I'm always saying yeah, keys. Yeah, no, I had I no idea like about that. Dirty. Like, to put keys in your mouth. But um, I think, too, it's to keep pushing as well with the parents, which seems like you shouldn't have to in a medical institute, but just to keep pushing all that x-ray so you go oh you know they go oh it's just a coin but it's yeah. not burning my child's esophagus from the inside which is just such an awful thing do you have any not that i actually want to know but what are the stats on that sort of happening in australia like is it's it prevalent is it like yeah so we have we have seen um unfortunately three three deaths in australia due to button battery um ingestion and the estimates at the moment is that there's over a thousand kids every year who present to an emergency department with a button battery related injury in Australia. So yeah, unfortunately there has yeah, we have, have seen seen three three deaths. And you know, those those families have been so amazing and so strong at pushing for those new the new laws that we've just had introduced and sharing their stories to to raise awareness for other parents and carers as well. Because like many families, um, you know, for a lot of them they don't know where the button battery actually came from as well and how it happened. And yeah, so it it is one of those ones that is, you know, I think again, really increasing as we see more products. And that's why it is so good that there are some of those new standards to to help um, and to be in place as well. But yeah, still one of those really, really important things. Um, and we think about all the new parents that there are every single year and like 
which I mentioned before, there's new grandparents and new aunts and uncles who may not have thought about all of these things before. It is, yeah, a, there's lots of important topics, but it is one of those really, really important ones because of how severe the outcomes can, can be as well. And I think it's also like how easy it is to avoid this becoming an issue when you're aware of all the potential risks and hazards. And I'm presuming as well with, you know, obviously you mentioned all those deaths, which are just so incredibly sad, but, you know, there's obviously for the children that survive, there can be some other long-term issues and health issues around that as well. So it's, it's you know, button batteries beware. You do not want them anywhere near your children at all. Do you know much about the long-term effects? Like, yeah, we've we've worked um, worked with the family again to share their story about their child, and there is a a lot of long-term effects. So a lot of ongoing surgeries, you know, a lot of ongoing treatments and rehabilitation as well for some of those, you know, quite horrific burn injuries. So again, it's that, and I, I think it's it's that sometimes the um, you know, with a lot of topics we talk about, it's probably the the unseen things as well um, when. You know the children are really lucky to survive, but some of those ongoing impacts for the child, but for the family as well. I think in that in that long term, you know, no one wants to see their child suffering and having to go through all of those things as well. So it's, it's probably the yeah the unseen side, I guess, a little bit to to injuries is some of those long term effects that things like this can can have um, for you know families and communities as well. I think that's actually a really great point. I think often, I know myself, I often focus on, you know, you think that they're lucky, you know, if something happens, they're kind of lucky to survive, but there can be some really, um, you know, the ongoing effects can be quite invasive for the family and the child moving forward. Um, so best to avoid as much as you can in, uh, from the start. But I just wanted to say, like, we've sort of wrapped up our topics, but I'm, we're just... As a whole, we are so grateful for the work that you and KidSafe are doing because this is such important work and I'm really, really glad we've been able to get this information to the listeners. Like, mm. I've learned a lot. I know Renee's learned a lot. It's really opened our eyes and we hope that the listeners have gotten lots of value out of it. Um, and I just wanted to know, Jason, was there any final messages you had for our listeners and then where can they find more information on KidSafe or any of the topics we've discussed today? Yeah, I think that in terms of a final message, it's just that we're here to, to help. So if anyone does, you know, whether it's any questions and that's how, you know, a lot of things are brought to our attention is by parents and carers are the ones who are seeing these things every day, whether it's issues with products or scenarios they're facing. And it's usually not a a unique one we have lots of parents who call you know stressed about situations and it's something that other families have experienced as well and yeah so that we're always here to help and think thank you for having us on as well to help get these messages out there it is you know so important for them to be out there but in terms of contacting us people can visit uh, kidsafe.com.au we do have our individual state and territory websites with different services we provide whether it's child car seat fittings or back sheets or online e-learning tools and how-to videos and all those sorts of things which are accessible through um, through our website. So website or, or on social media, we use a lot, particularly our, um, our Facebook page to kind of try and get those tips and have those interactions with parents and carers out there as well. So just to feel free to call us at any time. There's no silly question, we always say. And, you know, if we can't help, we'll do our best to to put you in touch with someone who um, who can. Oh, that's good to know. I actually would never have thought to call KidSafe with these 
things, but I think that's a really great resource for parents who are, you know, boots on the ground and doing the work. Um, I did want to mention then on the car seat safety, I did post it on our social account a little while ago, is that I had our car um, restraints checked. So I have gone to another place, and I won't mention the name, but I paid to have them installed or turned around and all those things. And then I remember going, I think I've been twice now to Kids Day. But the most recent time I went down, it's so easy. You just jump online, put in your postcode. It tells you where it's nearby. I think it's better on a desktop than a mobile. I'm going to say that. The mobile service was needs to be, yeah, well, it didn't work for me. So I jumped online. But anyway, we ended up over in Warren Diet with a man named Peter. And he did both car seats. I hope it's okay that I <laughs> I've never had such a thorough, he took them out, he checked all the belts, all the buckles, he made sure the covers were put on properly because I'd taken them off and washed them. He, you know, he said that you talked about the difference with putting it through with the seatbelt and then with the, what's the other safety thing. Isofix. Isofix. And he tried the Isofix first for my son, so the younger, uh, my youngest. And he said, actually, in terms of how my back car seat sat, it actually went the opposite way than it should so then he did the seatbelt and it made it go the correct way but just the fact he took the time to go through everything in so much detail and I think if I'd gone to another place you just see isofix and isofix and collect yeah. connect them together or you do that at home on your own and actually one of the car seats wasn't correctly installed and that was really scary for me to find out but he and then he showed me how to actually tighten it and adjust it properly which no one ever had and it sounds really simple you know, I've been doing this for over four years, but I, I learned things from it. It was, and it's free. It was, I, I can't talk about it enough. It was so good. It was so helpful. It's such a wonderful scheme that's happening with Kids Safe here in Victoria. And I just think there's no excuse not to have your car seats fitted. I think coming up to Christmas again, we're all on the road so much more. I just, I think, you know, go and check it out. It was, it's the only place I'm going to get the car seats wow. done from now on. And like, kids in, like I'm giving it the ultimate tick of approval. It really like I've, I've not had customer service like that and safety standards so high. I feel like the other place, the young guy, he was good, he was qualified, but it was in much more in and out. He put the kids in and he made sure to every point. It was amazing. I can't say enough. That's about a pretty good it, recommendation, so, um, Jason, because Mika is one oh. of the pickiest people I know. <laughs> <laughs> so if it has met her um, expectations and standards, exceeded, um, exceeded, exceeded. Oh, as my daughter would say, two thumbs up. Wow. You guys are going to be inundated. You yep. better clone Peter. <laughs> it was lovely too. He was so understanding because the kids were running wild while it was happening. And he's like, I've got four and it goes really quickly. Like, does it? <laughs> Doesn't feel like it. <laughs> Such a lovely experience and just the feeling of knowing that the car seats are done and I'm adjusting them and tightening them properly. So a big thank you from our family and from the Science of Motherhood family. We would love to have you back on and dive into more topics. I know it's some heavy subjects, but nothing's more important than keeping our little people safe and our families intact and well. And we just really thank you for your time, Jason. Thank you so um, much going to wrap up with one last question for our first um male <laughs> podcast guest we ask everybody this is what's on your bedside table usually it's like books or bits and pieces that you're reading uh, button batteries no no definitely no uh definitely no button batteries uh mine's probably going to be really boring i think i've got my little uh iphone charger dock on the the side there um i i always do have a 
packet of lollies on the side of my bed. So I am a diabetic. So um, that's probably something that's a little bit different. Uh, I don't eat lollies just for the fun I of it. I was like, wow, okay. Yeah, sounds fun. There is always a there is always a packet of lollies there, which again is when uh, my nieces come to visit. They know where to go to find the lollies because um, that's where they. Well, Uncle they Jason, are. though, is um, a diabetic, so girls don't <laughs> don't take too big a handful. <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably uh, that's probably about it. I think on my uh, my bedside table at the moment, very very plain, minimalistic, uh, minimalistic. Jason. That's I what like we call it, it. minimalistic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I like it. Even though I'm a bit anti-technology in the bedroom, that's just me. Um, but thank you so much for being on today, Jason. It was a real pleasure I and a real my God. I'm gonna like we'll be spreading walk the message hard after this and be like, right, what are we culling? <laughs> Thanks so much, Jason. All right, so thank you, again, Jason. We'll talk to you another time soon. Thanks. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.